All right. How are you doing today? Uh, you tired still? So uh, that's, that's good. Well, if I could, Jamie, Sue, my wonderful bride, could you stand up? She's right back there. And our, our three oldest children are back there also. Okay. All right. There, okay. Thanks. And um, so that is our precious family, except for my oldest one. I'm just kidding, Josh. No, we, we love you, bride. And, uh, but... We are so thrilled to be down here and just to, and just to fellowship with you here today. And uh, how many of you have ever taken family vacations before? All right. And uh, have you enjoyed family vacations? Okay. <laughs> uh, we, we have the, uh, you know, sort of, sort of. Nobody wants to say no, they have it because their parents are right there or their children are right there. So recently we visited my in-laws. They live up in Paso Robos. Well, they, have a, they bought property up there. And so we went up to Central California for a couple days after Christmas. And we got no sleep, but that's okay. But we, uh, so we came back and we were driving home and we, we wanted to take the 101 because we like the parts of the 101. It's part of our favorite drive when you get to see the ocean. It's a sweet ride. And so we were going along, we were cruising along, everything was fine, our kids were actually behaving, and you know, they weren't asking, are we there yet, are we there yet? They were, uh, you know, because we have a big van, 12-passenger van, and so they have a lot of room to spread out, and they were doing fine. So we're coming down the 101, and we get into Santa Barbara area, and all of a sudden, it just, it, the traffic just comes to a screeching halt, well, not screeching, but it came to a halt. And it was just bumper to bumper. And so you've been there before. You live in uh, Orange County or Los Angeles, and th th that's what you're used to, just on the 5, the 405. I, I don't know all the roads down here, or I, I say some things. Is, is it 57? Is that around here? Do you have the, is it 22? Okay, I'm just throwing numbers out, hoping they, they work. So, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but, so anyway, so you have that. And we were, so we were going, and we are like, okay, Maybe it's not too bad. So I said, Jamie, can you check my phone real quick to see what it's like? And so she gets on there and she says, hey, John, in six minutes, it says that it'll be, it'll be cleared up. All right. So there's a little bit of hope, right? Six minutes pass. We're basically in the same spot we were. And I said, Jamie, that's not good. Can you check again? And she checks again, and she says, well, no, it's still red on, on I think, at the SIG alert. It's still red on there, but, if, but I see green. And so all we said, there's hope. Two hours later, we finally made it to Carpinteria area. So if you're familiar with that area, Santa Barbara is just north of Carpinteria. So this isn't, like I said, this isn't Los Angeles. This isn't going through LA or the 110 at rush hour. This is 101 in Santa Barbara. And so for two hours, we were just stuck there in traffic. And I, I know how much you probably enjoy traffic, but it, it's not something that I'm particularly fond of. And, and then, you know, our kids were doing great, but all of a sudden then, you know, once there's traffic and shit, we're just stuck there, um, all the questions start coming out. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Well, they did this, they did that. And, and I know your kids are probably all godly, um, and, but, but our kids, you know, they start asking questions, and so it makes it harder. And why am I bringing all this up? Well, this is the reason why. is because in that moment of trial... The, the little hope that we had was maybe we look at the phone, we look at the traffic, and we realize hey, we won't have to go through that that much longer. We often look to things or items or people 
for hope in a trial or through situations. Are, are any of you the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim fans? Okay. Who doesn't like baseball in here? Okay, all right, this one. Okay, so, all right. <laughs> okay, who's a Lakers fan in here? Are we all Lakers fans? Okay. Uh, very good. I, uh, I grew up in Philadelphia, so I am a homer for all Philadelphia sports, and, uh, which is tough because they don't win, but, um, but I'm still a Philadelphia fan. But I bring that up to say is when every, the start of a season, whatever season it is, whatever team you root for, there's hope that somehow this season, it'll be your year. You know, you think of politics, and for if you are rooting, not rooting, that's not really rooting, you're voting for a candidate, you know, when elections come around, that's your hope that somehow based upon the elections, the person or the group of people that you're voting for may come in. If you're a student, you put your hope often in tutoring. If you're not able to understand that information, you, you're banking on that your teacher's going to help you. You know, we, if you're a guy and you want to ask out a, a young lady. You know, maybe you put your hope into your cologne or um, you, know, you ask it, uh, you know, or her friend giving you a good word, right? Whatever it may be, you you're put your hope into something. And this is, this, it really intrigues me. When we go through life, though, what do we put our hope in? When we walk through trials, when we're not sure about our children, whether they're going to walk with the Lord or not. What do we put our hope in? When, we have, when there's uncertainty at work, what do we put our hope in? When there's uncertainty in your church about the future, not sure what's going to happen, what do you put your hope in? What should we put our hope in? You know, many of you, I'm presuming, have been a part of the church for a while and, and you've heard messages that we're called to put our hope in the Lord, to rest upon his promises in his word. But it's often easier said than done. But it's my desire today for the time we're here is, is to have our attention, our gaze fixed upon the Lord as the source of hope. You know, it, it's interesting when you look at the scriptures and when certain prophets or, or the, the authors of the scripture, you know, the different men that God, you know, moved to write the scriptures, how did they give hope? And I, I think of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet to a people who had eyes that couldn't see, ears that didn't hear. They, they were slow learners. They were rebellious people. And he prophesied that they were going to go into captivity Right after he, he tells Hezekiah in Isaiah 39 that they, he, his descendants were to go into captivity, that in chapter 40, God calls Isaiah to comfort, twice he says it, his people. How does Isaiah do it? If you read through chapter 40, it's amazing. He talks about God. He focuses their attention on the Lord. He talks about how this God is the one who doesn't need any counsel, is the one who's a sovereign over people, over countries, over the, the leaders of the countries, who knows all the names of the stars. And it says, by the strength of his might, not one of them is missing. Unbelievable. And so Isaiah then what did he do with his task to help people? He pointed into the Lord. And that's my desire today. 
to point you to the Lord. And I know you've heard many messages that on this before, but this is what works. This is what is helpful. In life, we're always gonna have different people, different things we will look to for hope. But my prayer, my hope, my pleading with you as a church, as individuals, is that no matter where you are in life, no matter what situation are, your situation you're in, excuse me, you will look to our precious Lord. You know, when I joked about that traffic coming down from Santa Barbara, for a moment in time, it was quiet in our car. And during, during that time and, and when we were in rush hour traffic. And what was it that caused us to be quiet? Well, we, op- we got through Santa Barbara and all of a sudden we're still stuck in traffic, but we looked to our right and we saw the ocean and the sunset was going down right then. And it was sweet, right? I'm not, I used to never be real big on like sunsets and all that kind of stuff. As I get older though, you st- I don't know, it, maybe it happens to everybody, but it at least happened to me, right? And um, I start, liking, I start liking scenery now. And so, but for that moment in time, you know, um, I, I didn't look at traffic at all. No, I was kidding. I, I look, I, my, my wife and my kids, they looked over and they could see the sunset going down. And because their, their attention was, was fixed on that sunset, everything else around them paled in comparison. And so it's my hope today that we would look to the light of the world. We would look to the one who is the creator of light. And I want you to turn with me to Psalm 23. There's many passages we could go to that talk about hope, that talk about comfort, that talk about our great God. You know, we, there's many passages about his power and about his might and his miracles that he did and the things that he said that he spoke into existence. But Psalm 23 is absolutely riveting. And it's brought so much comfort to many people and generations in the past. And I guess personally, I just would say, it's just huge for my own soul. When I walk through trials and I have hurts and I I just, I'm so grateful for this passage. So before we dig in though, um, would you just bow with me? I'm just gonna pray and commit this to the Lord. Heavenly Father, you are the great and almighty God. And I thank you so much for your grace and your kindness. And Lord, we come right now and we beg of you that you would open our eyes that we may see wondrous things in your law, that you would help us know your word and then to live it out. Lord, I pray for this precious body that you would bring revival. Lord, bring revival to my soul. Wake my soul up, Lord. I have a greater passion for you. Lord, I flood our minds with who you are and what you have done. And Lord, I just pray that this church then, in this area, would be salt and light, and they would bring your name such great fame and praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Psalm 23, we all recognize Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. So follow along with me as I read, and we're going to focus today on the first four verses. Follow along with me as I read. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here David, a shepherd, by occupation, a shepherd, he focuses on the fact that the Lord is his shepherd. 
And before I, I give you an outline just about how it shows that the Lord is our shepherd, I want to just want to take some time here in verse one and just look at this statement. This is unbelievable. He makes this metaphorical statement. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, metaphors is a comparison, not like a simile. A simile, you, you compare something using like or as, right? Okay, I know you guys are fantastic grammarians, right? So, and so, so using like or as. So here, though, he doesn't use that, and he's making a comparison. You know, if, it's like if I say Joe Smith is a bear in the morning, I am making comparison. Joe Smith is a bear. All right, you, I'm working with me here, right? And so this is what David is doing. And it's unbelievable. And, and why is it unbelievable? Well, let's look at what he does. First of all, he says it's the Lord. This is the Lord. This is the word Yahweh. This is the word that you talk to Moses at the burning bush. I am who I am. Dr. Boyce said this. He said, this word is repeated 4,000 times in the scripture. It was the personal name of God. This word pointed to the fact that God is timeless and self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need any help or is accountable to anyone. He answers only to himself. He is also unchangeable. The Lord is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. He is sovereign. He is powerful. He's omniscient. He just walked through. He, he's the Alpha and the Omega, right? He is the great warrior, as Moses said in Exodus 15. And David's making a point. This sovereign Lord is his shepherd, a personal statement. See, you think about the Lord on one hand. Let's think about what a shepherd was on the other hand. In Israel and as in other ancient societies, a shepherd's work was considered the lowest of all works. If a family needed a shepherd, they would often look to the youngest son. Hence, David was a shepherd and he would get this unpleasant assignment. I was just reading here, one person says, shepherds had to live with the sheep 24 hours a day and the task of caring for them was unending. Day and night, summer and winter, in fair weather and foul, they labored to nourish, guide, and protect the sheep. And as one commentator said, who in his right mind would choose to be a shepherd? The Lord. So on one hand, you have the king of all kings, you have sovereign who is a shepherd. You have the one who's all-powerful, yet who cares for sheep. And who better to be a shepherd? I mean, one of the tasks of a shepherd is to protect the sheep from enemies, to protect the sheep from animals, predators. And I would love to have as a shepherd someone who has the ability to stop the predators from harming me. And, as, and that's who the Lord is. A shepherd cares for his flock. A shepherd knows his flock. And who better to have as a shepherd than the one who's omniscient, who knows each sheep? Like I mentioned, he, he cares. Who better to have a shepherd than one who's compassionate? As Jesus said, right, when you read in the Gospels, he often would feel compassion for the people because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, the Lord he healed, he restored. And so this is why when David makes the statement, it's just a fantastic 
statement, who better to be our shepherd than the Lord himself? And David, as a shepherd, he knows what it takes to shepherd. He views himself as a sheep and and he points to the Lord as a shepherd. So why or how did David show that the Lord is our shepherd? And I wanna give you four ways that he does this. If you're taking notes today and My hope, as mentioned in the beginning when I talk about hope, is that when we look back on these four works that the Lord does, that they will encourage us to press on. They would motivate us to pursue the Lord. They would help in those hurtful times when you're you're like, Lord, I don't get this. I'm doing this, but it's not working. And And you're struggling and there's questions. And hopefully then they will be that solid rock foundation for you. So what are they? Let me give you those four actions that the Lord does and we'll break them down for you. First of all, he provides. We'll see that he provides. Secondly, the Lord restores. One of the functions as a shepherd is he restores. Another function as a shepherd is he comforts. I'm sorry, he, that's the last one, he comforts. I skipped ahead here. The third one, he guides. So let me give them to you again. He provides, he restores, he guides, and he comforts. So what does he provide? Well, look with me here at verse one. David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord provides for our needs. You know, David makes a statement, I shall not want. I shall not be in lack of any good thing. Now, sometimes when when people see that, Oh, I shall not want. We think, oh, wow, look at the Lord. You know, we go to the Lord. He's like a genie in the sky. He's going to hook us up with anything that we want. You know, at Christmas time, we talked to our children and said, what are some things that you would like for Christmas? Or, you know, and often what, what gets put down? Wants versus needs. You know, if they need new socks, who wants socks for Christmas? All right, who wants a toothbrush? Uh, no, it's not fun. We always put down our once. But David here, he's not talking about once. He's talking about needs. See, the word want here is often used, but I, I really like if, I, if it's translated, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. See, the word want means desire, and the word lack indicates a real need or deficiency. David understood that since God was his shepherd, all of his needs would be taken care of. That's why I believe it's better to say, Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. The Lord provides for our needs. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about this. Why worry? The needs of life will be provided for. And that's easier said than none, not to worry. If you're a father of family and you have children and you're out of a job and you're looking for a job and you're not sure where your income's gonna come, it, it, it can be, Lord, what do we do? And it, we're, we are, are we not tempted to worry? I, I'll admit, I, I can. Lord, what am I gonna do? And the, this verse helps then. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. This is who our great God is. See, he provides for his sheep He provides for their needs. Another thing the Lord provides for is he provides peace. Look at verse two. 
It doesn't say those words there, but he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now, I'm not an expert in sheep, all right? Are any of you experts in sheep? Okay, or, all right, this one, I, I don't know, I don't, there's no any sheep um, shepherds. Anyway, I'm moving on. Okay, down in this area, that's what I say. So, so what I have to do is I tried to study just on what it meant for sheep. And one of the things that was so fascinating by this one man, Philip Keller, who was, who was a shepherd, he said this statement here, when it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, he said it's significant because it's very hard for sheep to lie down. It's very hard. In fact, he mentions four reasons why or four reasons, items that have to be removed in order for a sheep to lie down. And because I like alliteration, I'm going to give you, there are four F's, okay? The first one is fear. He said, sheep are very timid. In fact, he goes, one time there was a Pekingese dog, you know, very large animal, right? A Pekingese jumped out of a car and went toward the sheep and the sheep just took off running because they were afraid of a very large dog, a Pekingese, right? You know, Pekingese, right? How big are they? Maybe this or this, right? Depending if they have a haircut or not, you know, have more hair or not, right? But that's one thing. He said fear. Another thing he mentioned, he said, in order for a sheep to lie down, there has to be no friction. In, when we're talking about animals, we, we, there's often a, a, an animal society, so to speak, and there's an order of dominance within each society, so to quote unquote. He says, in a pen full of chickens, it's often referred to as the pecking order. He says, in a, with cattle, it's the horning order. Among sheep, he said, it's the budding order. And he said this, sheep will not relax if there is tension among themselves. If there's any fear, if, any, if there's any friction, he said, if there's any flies, thirdly, we, enough said about flies, right? And then finally, he said, if there's any famine, if they are hungry, they will not lie down. All these things need to be in place for them to be, quote unquote, at peace, to rest in the green pastures. David knows this. David, of all people, was a man who knew about trials. I mean, I think he he was, what's the, is it? What's that commercial? Is it the hot dog on the run, Wiener Schnitzel? Right? He was like that. He was always on the run from Saul, right? All right, bad joke. Anyway, moving on, right? But he, that's what he was. He was on the run. He, he was fleeing for his life. He was an anointed king. He knew about trials. I mean, look at his whole life, obviously, his own son, Absalom. He was, many things happened in his life. How in the world could he, with all this stuff going on, be able to lie down, quote unquote, in green pastures? Because the Lord does it. The Lord provides peace. That's why. See, in our lives, we're all, as Christians, it's not if we have trials, we're gonna have trials. How can we have the peace that passes all understanding? It's the Lord. See, we look to his word. We look to his promises. One of, the, one of the, the, the verses that really helps me, and I guess I'm just preaching to myself today, so thanks for listening in. Things that have helped my own soul. I think of Psalm 119, I think it's verse 68. It says, the Lord is good and does good. And then you, you, you couple that 
with Romans 8.28, which says he works all things for good to those who love him and call according to purpose. This is who our great God is. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And even though we may not be able to break through the fog of our lives to see what lies ahead, the Lord does and will. And he provides that peace that passes all understanding. You know, I'm, it always amazes me when there's people that have walked through incredible trials and, they, and you talk to them and they have a peace. Oh yeah, they're hurting. They're hurting big time. But they are, satis- they, are, they are satisfied and have a joy in the Lord. That amazes me. And the Lord provides that. See, the Lord provides for needs. And David's, King, David's making a point. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Another thing he provides is nourishment. Look at in verse 2. He leaves me beside quiet waters. Waters, all right? That, I, I say water. That's, that's how we say it back in Philadelphia. But he leaves me besides quiet waters. See, again, th- what's... When I read this, to me, that's not that big of a deal. But as I begin to study what shepherds do about sheep, it it was very fascinating. One commentator said this, in selecting pasturage for the flock, it is an absolute necessity that water be provided and that be easy access. Often flocks are stationed near a stream of running water, but the sheep are apt to be afraid of drinking water that moves too quickly or that is agitated. He said this, at different times in Israel, it was very hard to find a water source. Not only that, a shepherd, as mentioned before, needs to find one where the water is moving slowly. Also, a shepherd had to take the sheep to one source that was not polluted. If not led to the good water supplies of clean, pure water, they will often end up drinking from the polluted potholes where they pick up such internal parasite, nematodes, liver flukes, or other disease germs, he said. This was a big deal for a shepherd to lead his flock to provide nourishment for his precious commodity, the sheep that he would live with 24 hours a day. David knows this, and he was saying, hey, the Lord, the God Almighty, he's the one who leads me beside these quiet waters. He provides nourishment for me. The Lord has provided his word. The Lord, we have the spirit, right, I mean, you think of all the nourishment that we get. This is our great God. I'm so thankful for the word. I'm so, it's unbelievable. But we can go to this, this fantastic, without air word of God. And the Lord has, gives us hope. We have everything needed to spiritual life and godliness. And this is who our Lord is. And David is trying to arrest his own attention to say this is the Lord that provides. What else does the Lord do besides his provision? I mentioned secondly, he restores, right? Look at me at verse three. He restores my soul. The best way I can illustrate what this means is is I had a chance, um, I've had a chance several times to go over to New Zealand and for some ministry opportunities. And they say New Zealand has 60 million inhabitants and 56 million of them are sheep. Um, and it's crazy, there are sheep everywhere. So, uh, you know, I, I, I see all these imagery in the scriptures about sheep and shepherds. And so I was trying to find a shepherd and at the one, one of the churches I was at, 
they, um, there, he has a man there, and him and his, his wife, they have a huge, huge sheep farm, but this hundreds and hundreds of acres. And so he says, hey, you want to come over? And I was like, sweet. And um, so we went over there, and he, I got in the back of his pickup truck, and he put all these, like, garments on, clothes. I don't know, I don't know why. Not like the sheep are going to come after me. But anyway, I still had to put them on. I think they're just messing with me. Anyway, but so I get on there, and we drive. And one of the things that's fascinating is we, he, all of a sudden he just stops his pickup truck. And I look out, and there's a sheep lying on its back. And I'm like, oh, why don't sheep just get up? And so he gets out, he jumps over the barbed wire fence, whatever, or electric fence, and he goes out there, and he picks up the sheep. And he restores the sheep to its rightful position. Or right, as, and I asked him, I said, if you didn't see that sheep, if you didn't go out there and pick that sheep up, what would have happened? He said he would have died. He couldn't pick himself back up. You see, what's going on here is that David's talking about he restores my soul. See, sheep are dumb animals, right? And they can't stray. If they do, they need someone to bring them back. See, a shepherd wouldn't let a sheep wander too far See, David's talking about here, the Lord restores my soul. And as we're using the metaphor here, I believe he's talking about he's restoring his soul to the proper place of worship. One of the things the Lord does is he never lets his children, never lets his sheep wander so far that they will not be restored. It won't bring back to the right place. See, the Lord revives the soul when it's sorrowful. He sanctifies it when it's sinful. And when it is weak, he strengthens it. When we're astray, one of the great things the Lord does, but one of the painful things the Lord does, is he disciplines his children. Hebrews 13 talks about that. See, the Lord knows his sheep. He knows what they're about. And when they're not where they need to be, he's going to help them. You know, some of the, the information I read about sheep is that sometimes if a sheep would become so rebellious, the shepherd would break the sheep's leg, go down and pick up the sheep and put it on its shoulders and carry the sheep until the sheep's legs were restored. The shepherd knew that if the sheep didn't get in line, there would just be great tragedy and turmoil for him. And out of his love for that animal, he would hinder, break his legs and carry him until he's back to where he needs to be. This is what our Lord does. And I know it, at times it's painful, is it not? Because we, we, we wander, we rebel, we sin. We, even, even after being saved, Right? Listen, oh, we're, we're different now. We're sanctified. We have the spirit. We still sin, and the Lord is so gracious. David knew about sin, and he said, the Lord restores my soul. Fantastic. Another thing about the Lord, what does he do? He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He guides us. One of the things that I, I, I really like to say this is really the one way I could say this, he guides us in the correct paths so that we become more righteous. We're, when we're saved, 
we have what the Bible calls the, the imputation of Christ's righteousness. His righteousness is credited to our account. Amazingly, though, he, he, right? We're, we're, not, not amazingly, we're, we still sin and we still got to walk and grow in the Lord. And, it, and he says here that the Lord will guide him in the path of righteousness, take you on the right path for this. One pastor said this, sheep are not independent travelers. They must have a human conductor. They cannot go to predetermined places by themselves. <laughs> this is amazing, listen to this. They cannot start out in the morning in search of pasture and then come home at evening time. They have no sense of direction. The greenest pasture may be only a few miles away, but the sheep left to themselves cannot find it. What animal is more incapable than a sheep? <laughs> I mean, do you know people like that? No, I'm just kidding, all right, okay? But he says he realizes his impotence for no animal is more docile. Where the shepherd leads, the sheep will go. David knows that a shepherd is a guide and it's safe to follow him. The Lord guides his sheep on the path that they need to go. They are the correct path or righteous path. This is what the Lord will do for you. You know, I, I back in high school, I, uh, I, went to, I, I grew up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and the Lord had blessed me in, in several different areas and and I, I started getting dizzy spells my senior year in high school. Just, just randomly, I, I just get really dizzy. It's just like, you ever been on an amusement park ride where, you know, you just spin around and spin around and you get up and you're really dizzy or you play that game and you run down, you put your head on the bat and you spin around 10 times, you come back and you're all disorientated. That, that's what happened, just, just out of the blue. And I went to specialist after specialist. I went to ENT, had an MRI, had a CAT scan, had a variety of different um, tests done. Nothing. Nobody could figure out what the deal was. In the meantime, I, I played sports and, and I, I, um, I played baseball and basketball. Well, I was on the basketball team. I didn't play. I sat on the bench and watched everybody else play. But, but, but baseball, I had, I had the privilege of playing. And what was amazing about this is... I had some opportunities to play collegiately, and because I had dizzy spells, all of that just got, quote unquote, kicked to the curb. I, I, cause I, I'd, be, I'd be playing baseball, and I played outfield, I pitched, and I'd be in the outfield, and I'd be doing fine, and all of a sudden, I dizzy spell, come on, everything would be really dizzy, and I have to come out of the game. And so one of the things I'd really hoped for and was really passionate about was, was baseball, and the Lord took that away. I thought, that's okay, the Lord had blessed me academically. I, at one point, whatever I read, I could, I could remember. And it was so humbling. The Lord took that away. I, I'd read and I, I, I get real dizzy and, and it'd be hard to remember things. And what at one point came easy was a very strug big struggle. So much that even to this day, I'm so thankful when I can read and remember things. It's, 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 it's such a joy. And I didn't like that. I battled. Lord, I don't get this. I go for a run or a jog or I, I walk. Lord, I don't get this. What is going on? But you know what? That was the correct path for me to become more like Christ. He humbled me big time to where I am so ever grateful for it. And I still got pride. But he, he, he humbled me. It was the path that I needed to be on 
so I could become more like Christ. If things were, and I'm not saying every, all of you have to go through that same path, right? It's the, but the Lord, this is what he does. He guides, he takes you on his right path and it's for his namesake, verse three here says, it's for his glory, his honor. He's a glory hound for his praise. And, and I, I was last night, I was just talking to a friend of mine on the phone and he, he was just sharing, he's like, you know, he, he's, he goes, a number of years ago, I prayed that God would humble me. And for five years, he's battled sickness. And he's like, I battled it first, but I'm so thankful for it. Now, I'm not saying when he prayed that God will humble you, all of a sudden, your whole life is gonna, quote, unquote, fall apart. But the Lord knows, as a shepherd, exactly what you need to become more like him. Maybe it's a gentle prod, maybe it's encouragement, a hug, but whatever it may be, this is what the Lord does. He knows what path you need to be on. So this is who our Lord is. He provides, he restores, he guides, and finally, he comforts. And these are some famous verses, right? But verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David says, I fear no evil for you are with me. What's going on here? This statement talks about the Lord's protection, about his Lord's guiding. One of the, the shepherds I was reading, he said this statement here, he walks through the valley of the shadow of death. He says, it points out that there's a certain season where they have to be in the, they, they go from the lowlands and they go from different places, the high pastures, low pastures, so on and so forth. He says, the valleys are places of rich pasture and much water, but they can also be places of danger. He says, wild animals lurk in the broken canyon walls. Sudden storms may come along and sweep along the valley floors. There may be floods. Since the sun does not shine into the valley very well, there really are shadows which at the moment may become shadows of death, he says. So the, the shepherd then, he has to take him on these paths. He has to take him to these valleys. And and for a shepherd at that time, for a sheep, they were great times of danger, whether, the, whether you have the predators that are coming, or it says here, there is the shadow of the valley of, de- the, valley of the shadow of death. There's these shadows down there. And at times, a shepherd had to take these sheep to the proper pasture. And David's saying, even though I walk through these times, guess what? I fear no evil. My question, how could you not fear, David? How? He answers it. You are with me. You are with me. You're right there. In fact, you have a rod and a staff. Your tools, right? One is a protection tool. One provides comfort. See, the reason David cannot fear any evil is because of the Lord's presence and his protection, which are talked about the rod and the staff. He's like, they comfort me. Even if I am in the most difficult situation, the Lord comforts. And, and I, I just tell you, this is so true. I, um, I'm looking back there, my, and I'll just, I'll just share this. I, I, my daughter Kaylee's back there. She's, she'll be 10. Is that right, Kaylee? In February 8th. And when, when she was born, we, you know, we were pretty excited and <laughs> like, who's not excited? I shouldn't say that. Oh, we, oh man, we just, it's terrible, man. I, I don't know why, right? But we were thrilled, and uh, about eight days, eight days in, 
she still had all this gunk underneath her eyes. And so we took her in just to, to see what the deal was. And we took her in and, and our pediatrician said, hey, do you know she has some heart issues? No, we don't. Uh, we have no idea. And we want you to go around right, right now and, and we want you to see a, a cardiac pe- um, pediatrician. And so we went down and, and she got all these tests done and, and they, they, she had us a lot of issues with her heart. They, it was totally missed at her birth. You know, they, she had um, what they call, their holes, basically holes in her heart. They're called septal defects. She had them in her ventricles. She had them in her, um, her atrium. She even had what's called a, her pulmonary artery. It was, it was closing. And they said, hey, your daughter is going to have a heart attack or cardiac arrest. Just bring her in when she goes into cardiac arrest. Remember that, James? We're like, thanks, doctor. How much do I owe you? Um, and, um, and so, but this is what they said. Like, and it was, Whoa. We had no idea what would happen. You know, we canceled all our vacation plans. We, we, we wanted to make sure we were close by the doctor. By God's grace, during because there's a, there a pivotal time, you know, when, when your oxygen and your lungs and your heart, they all adjust after you're born. And she made it through that time. And so we went back in, about eight months in, and, and, and she, they said, we, we, they checked her again. We walk in the house and our home phone rings and it's our, our cardiac um, pediatrician and cardiologist. And he says, hey, by the way, we just got some tests done of your daughter. I'm actually meeting with a team of five doctors about her condition. Oh. And again, it, it's, Lord, what's going to happen? And what had happened, it's, it's a very rare congenital heart disease. A, a muscle had formed on our heart, basically right where, where your pacemaker is on your heart. And a muscle formed on there. It was splitting her ventricle beyond her other issues. And so, needless to say, we, she had to have open heart surgery. And they said at the time there was a 30% chance that she would uh, lose her life. They said she'd never be able to do anything competitively again, any sports, um, because with her pulmonary stenosis, they would, they, would, they, would, they, would put, they would try to open that up and, and all this stuff. That's amazing. You know, the Lord provided comfort. You know, we've had some, even with our six children, we've had miscarriages too. It's crushing. With, with your daughter had open heart surgery, you know, taking her in and... Uh, you know, you're going in there, you, you, you put her in there, and you, and you just give her to the Lord. And she's here, and so we are thrilled, and the surgery went incredible. In fact, she's able to play and run, and it just went better than we could ever expect it, and, and there's people all around this country praying for her. Where did we turn to? You are with me. You comfort me. I, I am sure that many of you here have walked through much more difficult trials than I've ever walked through. Whether you've lost loved ones, you've lost children, you, whatever it may be, even the small trials in our lives, I'm sure you've gone through more. This church right now is at a pivotal time in, in at least we're talking to you a little bit, just where are you gonna go with the future? My plea to you is to go to Psalm 23 to go to the scriptures, let who God is flood your minds. 
this be, be a glory hound, want, want to please him and praise him and look to the Lord. And I am not saying it's easy. I'm not saying trials are not difficult. Hence the word trial, right? But our, it, it really is true that God, he provides, he provides peace and nourishment. He, he restores, he guides, he comforts. This is our great God. And my question is, do you know this great God? Do you worship him? Uh, my, my plea is if, that, if there are some here that are not saved even today that you would get saved. You know, there's a story about a man one time. Uh, they were went with a bunch of people and there was an actor there and somehow they wanted this actor to come up and read Psalm 23. And so the actor came up and he read Psalm 23 and he read it in such a way, he was just very dynamic that when he got done, everybody gave him a standing ovation. Then another man, an older gentleman came up and read Psalm 23 and the whole audience was crying and weeping. The actor came up and said, what just happened? When I got up here, you guys gave a standing ovation. When this guy gets up here, you were crying. What's the difference? I know the psalm. He knows the shepherd. The Lord is our shepherd. And I'm telling you, and I'm pleading with you, look to this Lord when you pray today, when you meet as a group, encourage each other in the Lord. And whatever comes your way, let's look to this great and almighty God who loved you so much that he sent his only son. Jesus voluntarily, willingly laid himself down on the cross. He died so that we could live. He was rich and became poor so that we could be rich, right? What a great God. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Our Lord knew we couldn't get to heaven and on our own, so he sent his only son. What a great God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for you. And Lord, I'm thankful for you as the shepherd. Thank you for shepherding my wife and my soul through this, Lord. And I forgive me, Lord, for not looking to you more and just dwelling on problems. Lord, help me to always look to your word. I pray for this precious flock here. Lord, please, again, as I've said before, and it's repetitive, but flood their minds with who you are and your attributes. May they glory in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <laughs>